Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 1 Peter. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail them to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing in our study of the epistle of 1 Peter. We are in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. We are called here in 1 Peter 2.2, newborn babes. We are Christian infants if you will, when we come to faith in Christ. Newborn babes have no uh, way to provide for themselves. They have no um, cupboard with supplies for eating. They have no supplies for themselves of any kind. They're helpless. They're dependent. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, they are dependent. They need food. They need clothing. They need shelter. They need the tireless care of a mother and protection of a father. It's a 24-hour job that mom and dad have to do for a newborn baby. This baby can do nothing for themselves. And so here we are, as Christian men or women, we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we are called newborn babies. So it becomes a picture of us as new in the faith. A Christian has nothing in and of himself, but he has access to the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And the Christian, even though a newborn, even though a helpless newborn, as it were, these Christians are filled with all the fullness of God. As new Christians, we have a new longing in our hearts. We have a new hunger. We're not self-sustained, but we are God-sustained. We are newborn babes the whole way through. Peter describes the attitude as desiring the spiritual milk or the sincere milk of the word. Food does make a difference. Spiritual milk makes us grow into salvation. So that's the thing we live on. The word as milk suggests that it is perfect food for children, containing all the elements uh, for building up of the body. So the word of God is perfect for the building up of the soul. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It's been pointed out that the word word here in verse 2 might be spelled with a capital W, meaning Jesus Christ, the word of life, himself being the word and his word being given to us, And in that third verse, we read that if we've once tasted of the Lord, we'll find that he's gracious. 
Jesus Christ is the nourishment for our souls. Verse 3, If so be ye have tasted. In other words, if you've ever tasted of the Lord, you find that he is good for you. Peter says that when we become the children of God, and that's how we're referred to in John chapter 1 verse 12, we're like newborn babies. We need food to make us grow, and this is what God has provided in his word, the Bible. So we need to desire the word as newborn babies, and by eating it, that is by taking it in, we grow by the word. You'll find that it tastes good, and it does good. Christ becomes real and gracious to us, as we find there in 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. Now, this is where Peter, in 1 Peter 2, starts talking about rocks, or stones. It's another figure that he uses, and he uses a number of figures of speech, as we've already seen. And so he turns to this new figure of stones, and he calls Christ a stone rejected by men, but precious in God's sight. Everyone in this world has to do something with this stone of Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is in every man's path. We can lift him up and put him in as the chief cornerstone of our lives. That's God's will, by the way. But if we don't make him our chief cornerstone of the building of all that we are, then we will stumble headlong over Christ Jesus, tragically, to our spiritual death. To the Jews, he was a stumbling block. He was an offensive rock to them. To many people today, what we see is that Jesus Christ causes them to stumble, causes them to fall, causes them to be offended because he is so truthful and so filled with truth and he is so righteous and the world around us is so unrighteous. So the question is, what have you done with this precious cornerstone? Is he in the rightful place in your life? Are you being built upon Christ? Well, then Peter goes on with this thing of stones and makes it known that we are stones too. Now, we're little stones. We're not the cornerstone, but we are important in the building process because we're laid on Christ as the foundation and cornerstone. And then we, each one, are part of the building of this spiritual temple to God. Now, these are figures of speech, I realize. And for some, it's hard for them to understand, but yet it still makes the point that we are altogether important in God's plan of building. Now, it makes us an important part of this plan, but it also is important for us to find out where we fit. Uh, and we need to find our place in God's plan. We need to stay in it. This spiritual house that's mentioned in verse 5 is built up of believers. It's the corporate temple of the Holy Spirit. It's uh, the individual Christians being the individual temples of the Holy Spirit, as in 1 Corinthians 6.19. But then when we're together, we are the corporate temple of the Holy Spirit. 
So we're not only the living stones in a spiritual temple, but each of us is a priest in the temple. Priests represent God to men and represent men to God. Christians, according to Peter here in verse 5 of chapter 2, says we are a holy priesthood. Now here's a question for you that only you can answer. Are you representing God to men by your life? Are you representing men to God by your intercessory prayers? As priests, we cannot offer lambs and goats today, but Paul tells us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, as we've already mentioned in Romans chapter 12. Verse 7 says, Unto you therefore which believe, he, that is Christ, is precious. Charles Spurgeon's preaching started at this point. He was a young guy, only in his teen years. He was walking out with a friend to an appointment in the country. I hope the Lord will bless you, said his companion. Me, exclaimed the young fellow, I never preached. Well, if you don't preach this time, there will be no preaching. Right there, the young man, appointed of God, all unaware of the fact that he was to be the greatest preacher of his age, bowed his head. In a few minutes, he rose and addressed the crowd in the words of this text, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. This was Spurgeon's first text and theme of his entire ministry. Christ was always precious to Spurgeon, and Spurgeon's sermons were precious to the people, not only when they were preached and then when they were printed, but also even to this day when we read Spurgeon's messages that he's received from God to give to us. Verse 9 tells us that we are a chosen generation, meaning that there is an importance in our family. We are important to the work of God. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. Now, we're not speaking here of the United States or of Canada or of Mexico or of some other nation. We're talking here of a holy nation being the people of God who have come to faith through Jesus Christ, they are the holy nation. Remember, we are ambassadors for a land far away. And it is this holy nation that we represent. We are a peculiar people that is a different sort of person, a different sort of people group that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then we finish in this verse 10, and then we'll continue, which in time past was not a people. The Gentiles were never considered a people. They were considered the off-scouring of the world. But now they're a people of God, not all Gentiles, but those who've come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
Jew and Gentile, are this special and peculiar people, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We've obtained the mercy and the grace of Almighty God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now we're instructed in verses 11 through 17 to live as servants of Almighty God. He takes a different tact and a different turn here at verse 11. Peter writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be, or they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, there are a lot of um, instructive words here, many commands, if you will. Let's see if we can learn from them. We're strangers and pilgrims. We should stay away from these things that prey upon the flesh, these things which war against the soul. We need to have a lifestyle that's honest among the Gentiles. So when they speak against us as evildoers because of our Christian ways, that they would have to acknowledge that God's in control of things and they need to glorify God because of what we do, the good works that we do. We need to be under the law of whatever state in which we live. Whether it's under a king or under a governor, we are to do what is right, and we are to do that so that God may be praised. Verse 15 says it's the will of God that we do well so we can silence the ignorance of the foolish. And I see that ignorance portrayed so often. It's in the media. It's in the government at various levels. The ignorance of foolish people. We're to put it to silence by doing the work that God has called us to do, by doing what is good. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. In our freedom, in our liberty in Christ, we're not to be malicious, but we're to be the slaves, the bond slaves, the servants of Almighty God. And then in this portion, verse 17, honor all men. Be good to all. Realize that all are created in the image of God. Do not despise anyone. Honor all. 
And then we should love the brotherhood. Now, what is the brotherhood? The brotherhood is the uh, brotherhood and sisterhood of all those that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's your brotherhood. We're to fear God. And as we fear God, then we know how to serve him. That fear God is a reverential respect, an awesome understanding of who God is. We are to have that awesome reverence of God. That's fear God. And we're to honor the king. We are to give him the due respect that comes to the office of king. You don't have to like the king, but you respect his office. You don't have to like him as in, he's my king. I I think he's a wonderful king. In fact, you remember the cry at the time of the revolution in the United States was, no king except King Jesus. No ruler except King Jesus. And so while we give respect to the king, we realize that an earthly king only has so little authority, and the heavenly king has all authority. Now, in verses 18 through 25 of this chapter 2, we see the example of Christ's suffering as presented by Peter. Listen to what he says. He says to servants, that is to the slaves, that is to the employees, Be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, to the mean, the nasty, the ugly. You show your subjection to them no matter what their situation. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when you buffeted by uh, for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. If it's your fault, you need to accept it and suffer for it, uh, and that's okay. But you should truly suffer for it and accept it and be patient with it if it's not your fault, and that is even more acceptable with God Almighty. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He never reviled anyone. It says, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. We know that in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and verse 11, we see this quotation of by whose stripes 
you're healed. Isaiah 53, 5 in particular, we find it there. We also know in Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, we see ourselves as sheep going astray. And here Peter says, You were those sheep going astray, but now you've returned unto Christ. Christ is the shepherd, that is the pastor, and the bishop, that is the overseer of your souls. And so it is that we've returned to Christ. We need to live like it. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the postal service, our address is The Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. That's The Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bumble, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.